Harley Heaven Rumble Podcast with your hosts, Mick Sinclair and Ben McIntyre. All right, we are back. Harley Heaven Rumble Podcast. This is show 36. I'm Mick Sinclair. And today I'm back with the legendary sales manager of Harley Heaven Melbourne, Ben McIntyre. How are you, mate? Very well, thank you, mate. Um, how about are you? Yeah, I'm going good. Stoked to be back up here on a Wednesday recording the show. Um, we're, you know, and we're in for a ripper show today. Uh, we are bringing in our very first listener guest. Um, and his name is Mike Giorgio, all the way over from Perth in WA. Uh, and he's joining us to talk about his 1,000 miles in a day adventure, which is going to be really cool. I, um, 1,000 miles in a day is a long way. We've spoke about that. Yeah, and yeah. I've been wanting to do this for like maybe two and a half years or yeah, something. Yeah, and we'll touch base on that a little bit later, but Mike hit me up on Instagram and, and we are talking about, you know, he's a loyal listener to the show um, and he sent me through what he did and I just hit him up and said, hey, we've got nothing to talk about next week. Do you want to come on? He's like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, good. So, I'm surprised it's taken this long to get a listener on. It's true. I mean, there's quite a few of them, man. Yeah. But, yeah, no, anyway, it's going to be cool. Uh, we're also going to talk about the new supercharger that Harley-Davidson have in the works. Now, I but know... We're not speculating on anything. No, we're, we're not, not. There's no rumours. Man, we're not speculating about shit. We found it on the, <laughs> found it on the internet. It's on the internet, so it must be true. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you sent me through a, a blog this yeah. morning, and I'd never seen this, but... I think it was only just popped up like in the last couple of days yeah it had so yeah a new supercharger coming from hd um we're going to touch base on that you're going to fill us in about what you know before we get into that though mate uh what's goss well we just reached fifty thousand listens Fifty thousand listens that's pretty cool for our little uh harley podcast we sit in this little dungeon office i'm pretty happy with that each week talking shit and 50,000 people have listened to it or 50,000 listens a show. Uh, a bit more than that. There's only 36 shows, so it's you know it's going good. I'm really stoked. So thank you to everyone who's uh, listened to us and supported us on our journey since March last year, almost 12 months. Yeah, it was just as COVID started happening. Yeah. What else? Got some 21s that I can see out there on the floor. In. So the Sevier Road Glide, customer ordered one. Mm-hmm. Like day one, he just rang and said, look, get me one. And it just turned up today. That thing looks, looks incredible. Awesome. I love it. You know, it. like I was saying before, um, I've seen plenty of images of these things, but what really caught my eye were the wheels and that. They're incredible. Yeah. Like, yeah, spoked wheels. Actually, they remind me of on, I think Pan America's got the same sort of wheels. It but doesn't look right, to be honest, but it looks fucking right. Yeah. But there's something about it. The spokes like come from like the outside. Like they do on the like the Pan America's got the like the adventure touring wheels that you can change the spokes on mm. the fly. They come from the outside, so similar sort of thing. These little step in bits and and it's so big, like twenty one inch by three and a half. So it's a big wheel. Yeah, it looks it's really awesome. cool. Check it out. Uh, check out a photo and really zoom in on the wheels. Like I've seen a heap of photos of them since they launched uh, last month or whatever. It's hard to see in the photos, but until I the until flesh. I walked past and I was like, what yeah. the fuck is going on there? Yeah. Uh, New Street Bob 114s on the floor. You got a white one out there, which looks really cool. Yeah, got a white one just came in for another customer. We've sold a handful of have these. You, have you yeah. delivered them already? No, this is the first one to come in. Oh, cool. So we've sold a handful of white ones already. That seems to be the most popular. It's funny. So yeah. you, all every Street Bob you've sold has been white? Not every one, but that seems to be the color of choice at the moment. Yeah. So. Uh, that's really cool. Yeah. 
Um, I, I like liked, I like the white. You know, out of the four, I think the white and the black are my favourite colours. I really like the green one. I'm not I sure if I own the green, green one. in person? Yeah, I think we need to. I'm not stoked on the orange, but... We've got a green one ordered for a customer. Yeah, really? It's not going to be here for a little while, but... Really? It'll be interesting to see when it comes in. That sucks. Uh, Adelaide have got a ride coming up on the 21st of this month. Uh, it's a couple of weeks. They always get a huge turnout. You know, Dandenong had a rad turnout last Thursday for their ride down to Gippsland. 60-odd yeah, bikes. 60-odd bikes. Ringwood had 60-odd bikes. And, man, people are out and about at the moment. Yeah, it's really yeah. cool. And I see every Thursday night there's groups meeting. And yeah, the uh, Vic, Vic Harley scene boys. Yeah, yeah. Man, they look wild. <laughs> yeah, I want to go check out. one of those out. But, yeah, they are, uh, seem to be getting, you know, a couple of hundred bikes every Thursday night, which yeah. is really cool. It's good for the Lucky scene uh, in yeah. Melbourne. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what else? Aussie Vickler show and shine, man. That's no, gaining be massive. Gaining some traction, dude. That's going to be huge yeah. at Dandenong, uh, which is pretty cool. So when is that again, Mick? The twentieth of March. Cool. So we've, we've still got a month and ten days, but it's going to yeah. be massive. So we're looking we'll forward come to that. Real quick. Yeah. Um, remember. Wherever you're listening to this show, hit that subscribe button, and if you can, leave us a nice five star review. Obviously, both go a long way to help us putting the show in front of more people. Um, but yeah, we'll leave it there, and we'll get stuck in a big mic. So you know, we know this great, you know, this great man is Big Mike Streetlight. Uh, he's a regular listener of the show. He's often sending in questions for the end of our show. Um, and Mike and I were talking during the week on Instagram about his 1,000 miles in a day ride. And I just said to the guy, you know, do you want to come on to talk about the show? Uh, talk about miles. It's 1,609 kilometres. It's a decent hit. It's a long way. Yeah. You and I have spoke about doing it again. You know, we, we spoke yeah. about going to Adelaide and yeah. we really just got to do it. We just got yeah. to get off our asses and organise yeah. to do it. But this ride looked really cool uh, around, you know, the, the southwest part of Western Australia. And, and Mike will talk about that more. But Big Mike, you there, mate? Yeah, I am. G'day, Mick. G'day, Ben. Thanks so much for joining us, man. It's uh, it's really cool for us to have you on the show. You're our first listener guest, which is awesome, and you've got a pretty cool story to tell in terms of your your background in in the military, your background in motorcycles, and obviously this uh, fucking massive ride you've just done. So, first off, um, you know, tell us who you are and what do you do. Yeah, right, boys. Uh, yeah, my name's Mike uh, Giorgio. I'm based out in Perth, Western Australia. Have been for the last ten or so years after returning back to Australia after living in them overseas for a bit. Um, you know, prior to that, I, I think all my my journey kind of starts when I, I joined the army when I was eighteen, and um, ended up doing twelve years of, of time both here in Australia and, and mm-hmm. in the Middle East. Uh, when I eventually transitioned out from the military into the private contracting sphere, um, you know, which was which was great. I mean, it was the same sort of work and, and, and skill sets uh, being implemented, but just a, a different theatre to operate in, which was quite good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, gave us good opportunity to set ourselves up, and then you know, by the time I got all of the um, all the cool guy stuff out of my system for my 20s, I could come back and be a responsible adult mm-hmm. in society in my early 30s. What were you doing in the military, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, I was based within the heavy weapons uh, teams. Uh, so I was a mortarman by trade and um, direct fire support weapon systems uh, team leader. That's very cool. Were you right in the thick of things over there, like, you know, in the Middle East? 
uh, yeah, look, when I did, uh, I got a couple of trips up with the military, but then when I got into the contracting sphere, yeah, it was a little bit looser than what it was uh, within the military at that time. Mm-hmm. Obviously, things for the boys in uh, the big green got a little bit heated towards the late zeros and, and, and early teens. So, but when we were over there, yeah, it was it was pretty ninja. Nice, that's cool, man. Talk, talk, tell us about your uh, your background in in motorcycles, though. Like, obviously, you're uh, very enthusiastic when it comes to Harley. Uh, you know, what are your late thirties now? Early thirties? Uh, late thirties now, mate. I yep. see big four zero uh, later this year. Oh, there we go. Nice. Yeah. Um, so you're 40 years old and you're, you know, look to me like one of the most enthusiastic motorcycle Harley guys out there. You've been riding bikes all your life? Yeah, I started on dirt bikes. Uh, growing up on a farm in Africa, mm-hmm. you know, dirt bikes were just, that was it. So, and uh, from cutting around on the farm to getting into motocross, so, oh, you know. As you didn't come across Grant bike, Langston in your day, did you, over there? No, 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 no. GL. Um, you know, but it, it went from Pee Wee 50 to an 80 to uh, a 110, 125, 250. And then, you know, we, we to Australia and that kind of stopped the, the dirt riding for a period of time. And then when I joined the military, all good little diggers end up blowing a wad of cash on a motorcycle. Mm-hmm. And I ended up getting back onto a bike in 2001 yep. with a Kawasaki ZX-7R. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, had that bike for a, a while, um, and then you know when we picked up stumps and we we moved over to Dubai, uh, obviously all the toys went. Um, and when I got back, um, I, I got back into riding um, with uh, my first Harley purchase in, in 2013, which was a uh, Softail Slim. Yeah, that's a cool choice. You would you would have been you would have been big on a Slim. Yeah. Uh, look, like I've a monkey very, rooting a footy on that thing. Yeah, I've got some really good mates that didn't take the piss out of me too hard for being on it because it seriously looked like I was a monkey humping a football riding that bike. <laughs> How tall are you? Uh, uh, 201 centimetres, so just over 6'6". Six, six. Oh, that is big, Mike. <laughs> Bloody hell. Yeah. What, let's talk about the 1K in a day, man. So, obviously, you've got this. How long have you had the street glide for? Uh, look, I, I bought the Street Clyde in eighteen, and that was a that was kind of a, a purchase based on riding sixty six with a couple of mates. We had hired the bikes from Eagle Rider, and I guess there was some sentimentality attached to doing sixty six on the Street Glide. So it was, you know, inevitable that we were going to end up uh, grabbing a tourer. And and to be honest, that's the kind of riding we've moved into now, getting out and seeing the country. So. Yeah, um, got the street glide, <clears throat> made a few changes on it, obviously, to try and get it set up so I could fit on it and just getting out there and riding. And uh, myself and a really good buddy of mine, Chris, uh, we were having a bit of a spitball in regards to moto camping and, and getting out and seeing WA and overnighting with the camping and whatnot. And that's just morphed into more and more touring. And uh, it's gone from bar hopping and coastal runs to now getting out and going places that you ordinarily wouldn't go in a car or with your family, so to speak, uh, mainly because it's just mind-numbingly boring in WA when you're in a, when in a cage. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, whilst this was taking place, we jumped on Instagram. You know, we're both technological retards, so that was a bit of a mission in itself. But 
we started coming across um, different pages on Instagram and particularly the touring rides in in, uh, in America. And one of them caught our eye, and that was the ride 1K in a day. And it was slightly different from the Iron Butt Association, you know, or the Bum Burner or whatever it is, in that the uh, qualification for achieving a ride 1K in a day wasn't as onerous as what it is with the Iron Butt Association. Mm-hmm. So Curtis, who runs it, effectively just asks for five or six photos of your odometer and your fuel receipt and photos of you out on your ride. And you've got 24 hours to complete this thousand miles. And, <clears> and we thought, bloody hell, that sounds like a bit of a laugh. Let's have a crack at it. Yeah, man, I've been following that page for a while. And um, uh, Mick and I have spoken about it a fair bit. I suggested, like, I've got this idea to do one can a day and do a podcast as we go and, like, do little recordings at each fuel stop or something. I don't know how it would work yet, but... I just it just seems like such a cool concept. Like that's a it's a mission, but it's attainable in in twenty four hours. Let's do it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was pretty I was pretty concerned about doing it. You know, with the speed limits that we've got here in Australia, we kind of played around with what we were going to do in regards to our leaving time, uh, just to try and mitigate some of the traffic if there was traffic. You know, it was we did ours on the twenty eighth of December, so it was still double the merits during Christmas holidays, et cetera. And, um, Pick your battles, mate. <laughs> yeah, I know, mate. If you're going to bite something off, you might as well go all in, right? No shit. So, you know, we, we ended up uh, – we had planned it out for a while and a couple of guys dropped out. They couldn't do it. Uh, one of the guys we rode with had a serious motorcycle accident on his KTM, decided to throw himself at a tree quite badly. So, you know, the whole ride got pushed back and – push back and then we just said to each other you know we're doing it on thursday that's it no ifs buts or maybes and the three of us just set off at three o'clock in the morning three thirty in the morning and um yeah it was epic it was absolutely epic that's very cool mate tell us um you know we're gonna completely hand this over to you now like from the start to finish i know you've sent me you know an image of of, of your route but and that's really hard to to show people on a, a podcast when we're not filming it, but you know, take us take us through right from the very start and where you went. You know, I'm not that familiar with Western Australia, so there's a lot of these places that I might not know of, and I'm not sure about you, Benny. But yeah, surprisingly, our well. listenership we've got a decent listenership in WA, which is really cool, and I'm sure they're going to be able to resonate with it. So, this show's yours, mate, from start to finish. Let's go. Before you start, though, how many kilometers did you actually uh, complete? We knocked out. Uh, 1,634 kilometers in 19 hours and 15 minutes. Oh, that's mad. That's wild, man. So, you, you, yeah, it, it was probably an hour and a half to two hours quicker than what I thought it was going to be when we originally set up about planning it. But once you get out on the road, um, especially when you're in the middle of nowhere, you can you can squeeze back a little bit of time. Mm. Um without going too crazy. But to, to start it off, um, my buddy Chris uh, came up and stayed at my place the night before. You know, we were trying to manage the fatigue a little bit and having young families, that was a, a bit of a workaround. But Chris and I met up with another friend of ours, um, Isti, at the local BP service station. We fueled up and uh, the guy operating the console was kind enough to take a photo through the security glass uh, for us, for our proof of starting the ride at, at 3.30, 3.34 or whatever it was. 
and we just jumped on the freeway. I live north of Perth, about 25 k's. So we just jumped on the freeway and just bombed straight down through Perth, um, down towards Bunbury and Bustleton, and um, through to Margaret River, which was our first stop, which was just over two and two and three quarter hours. So you got to you away. Got, you got down to Margaret River at five a.m. ish. There's no winery stops. <laughs> no, nothing, mate. Unfortunately, what we did need was coffee because it was fucking freezing mate out of all of the days in december to ride on we choose to ride on the coldest bloody day i've been through margaret river in the winter and it's fucking cold there so i could only imagine how cold it would have been that time of the morning yeah well when we filled up um you know it's just after six um one of the boys couldn't even hold a coffee cup straight you know so i know that feeling we we kind of fueled up Yeah, you know, and obviously being in December and being three dudes, you don't think about the riding gear that you need, right? So the boys had summer riding gloves on. Um, Fortunately, I've got heated grips on my bike, so that kind of took the edge off it a little bit. But yeah, it was was ninja on the way down there, just that incessant uh, wind on the hands. Um, But we fueled up there and we bombed out of Margaret River and we took a bit of a, a scenic route. Um, through to a town called Warpole, which is down towards the southern coast. Um, and we, you know, it's, it's through, starting to get through some of the, um, the forestry areas there and, and the old growth forest, which is, it's just absolutely fantastic to see, especially when the bush is coming alive, mm-hmm. the smells, the sights, a couple of roos floating around. But generally, the roads were quiet, which is what we wanted, um, just to get some caves in. And uh, we ended up getting down to Warpole mid-morning. We fueled up and things were going pretty well. We'd grabbed a couple of photographs. The humour was high. And as I was moving my bike from the fuel stop, I felt something in the bars. I was like, ah, fuck, here we go. And we moved the bikes across the other side of the road and myself and Chris and Issy had a look at the bike and my top clamp had come undone on my bars. Wow. So, What'd you lose the bolts out of it? Uh, I don't know, mate. I really don't know. It's it just come undone. I don't know if it was the vibration from the, the coarse roads. You know, um, I'd had the bat wing off earlier, just having a look at the cables, doing a, a bit of a visual inspection on the bike beforehand. We had tightened everything up um, when we did the, did the inspection, but clearly we, we've obviously missed a bolt. Anyway, we, we managed to pull... The um, that shroud or that surround around the key fob area there or the, or the barrel off and we just managed to get um, an Allen key in there and we got a quarter turn out of the bolt. So it was loose. Probably cost us about 25 minutes buggering around on the side of the road. Yeah, you don't want mechanicals on a ride like that when you're so time poor. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And being in the middle of nowhere, whilst it is a country town, you know, Harley Assist isn't exactly going to be spontaneous. You know, like they'll get to you, but that would be your ride done. Um, thankfully, we had the foresight. You know, we most of us were carrying tools or puncture repair kits, first aid kits, all of that sort of stuff. So we got it sorted out and we're up on the road, uh, you know, within 25, 30 minutes. Um, shot down through the Valley of the Giants and got a couple of photographs through those old carry, old growth uh, trees and, and forestry that's there, which is just amazing. And to be honest, riding through that is just, it, it's probably the most free you'll feel in a bike in WA and 
as close to nature as you can get sort of thing. It, it's, it's unreal. Like, I can't really describe it, you know, without going a little bit tree hugger. It's, uh, it's a really good feeling. And we, we moseyed on all the way through to Albany, which is, you know, quite a, a, a sizable um, country town or regional town. Is there and, a Harley um, dealer in Albany? Off. Yeah, there's a dealer down there. Yeah, yeah. there is. Great, great Southern Harley. Unfortunately, right. they were closed because it was Christmas, but yeah. stopped out the front, got the obligatory photograph, and then we headed to the Scottish restaurant for some food because it was the only thing that was open. Sounds interesting. And uh, you've never seen a McDonald's so busy in all of your life. Well, nothing is open in the country. You know? So, yeah, um, fueled up there. And then we made the run from Albany to Ravensthorpe. And Ravensthorpe's a mining town about 330, 340k away from Albany. And that was probably one of the longer, harder stretches because we're now middle of the day. You know, temperature up was around 30, 32 degrees, and there was no wind whatsoever. And the road, about 75k of it was uh, roadworks. It was just oh, a pain no. in the ass. I was about to ask what what was hard about it, but yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, you know, and look, the speed limit is, is saying, you know, 80k an hour. It's got loose gravel, and you're trying to do it, and then fucking idiots come racing past and four-wheel drives at 120k an hour and they just shower your bikes with shit. Yeah, you know, that's, that's so the hard thing is the dickheads on the road. Yeah. But um, look, everything was going pretty well until we got to about 30k's out of um, out of uh, Ravensthorpe and I started having a bit of a 50 cent, 5 cent moment because uh, my fuel tank just went to zero. Oh. And, oh so you did I that mean, whole stretch like, without stopping. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was 300 and 330k, 340k, and I rode the last 30k on zero fucking fumes. <laughs> um, a, yeah, and that was that feeling. was really nervous. Now, were you carrying fuel just in case? No, we didn't carry fuel. We'd worked it out that we we should be pretty good between the stops. We should be good for 350. Mm. And Isty's got a road glide standard, and and Chris has got a street glide special as well, a 19. And they made it quite easily. I think they had 40 or 50 Ks uh, left in their tank. But I've had my bike tuned. I ran a PowerVision on my bike. And um, since we've tuned it, I'd be lucky if I get 320 out of a tank. And for anybody that's going to be doing this uh, this ride, if you are in a touring model bike and you've got a stage one, once you get over like 110 K an hour, plus or minus you know, 10 or 15 Ks when you're out in the sticks, um, they just start to drink the fuel. And if you're a bigger chap like myself, the extra weight, it just sucks the juice dry. So, you know, that was probably the closest we got to, uh, to causing a bit of a, a bugger up. And that was my fault because, we, you know, I was just chewing the juice even though I was riding on cruise control or as smooth as the other boys were. It so when like we got the other two were all store, sorted. You've had a, uh, triple clamp issues. You almost ran out of gas. Yeah, uh, yeah. Clearly, I'm the weakest link, right? <laughs> so, Flicking yeah. Boys, and and when we got to Ravensthorpe, we filled up, and I think I put in uh, 21.7 liters. Whoa! Right. So, tank? and if you know the size of a street glide tank, it's 22, 22 liters. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, you know, there was there wasn't that much fuel in it. Anyway, we filled up there. Um, Threw in some uh, some Red Bulls and V's and all that sort of shit. Uh, grabbed a quick feed, 
And then we stopped out the side of uh, Ravenscorp. They've got some of those murals up on the grain silos and stopped and got the photos there. And then we made the run up to Lake King and Lake Grace, which was, which was awesome. Um, you know, I think we crossed a, a salt pan. It was about nine and a half Ks wide, 10 and a half Ks wide. It's like you're riding across the moon other than the black strip of licorice that you're on. Most bizarre thing. And, um, you know, that was really cool. But then we started chasing the sunset and it was a pretty amazing sunset. Um, we managed to get into Lake Grace, fuel up there, and then a decision was kind of had, you know, do we continue on the normal route and head back to Bunbury, Bustleton, and then back up the main freeways, highways, back up to Perth and try and ride in some of the lights, the, the street lights? Or do we cut up through Williams and we're probably going to cut 130 k's off the ride, 140 k's off the ride? Uh, but we're going to be in the dark. And the decision was kind of taken, well, we're still going to be traveling at the same speed as what we have been. You know, it's, we're not going balls to the wall here and it's nighttime. So let's, let's save 130 Ks. Let's save an hour and a half because we were a little bit concerned about timing. And we cut through Williams um, or Arthur River and then up through Williams and then back into Perth. And, you know, the, the last, Two hours of the trip is probably the hardest. You know, you're in that 16, 17, 18 hour mark. You just had enough by and, having... um, Yeah, and the fatigue starts to get there. I mean, we're all guilty of a little bit of a wobble on the road. Um, you know, it's just, it's dark. You're just chasing three white lines on the road. Yeah. Um, every now and then there's, there's a car. The comms units, you know, our centers were starting to go flat as well. So, you know, that, that was probably the most challenging was that last two and a half, three hours, just as we're getting back into Perth. And then once we got into Perth, it was surreal. We, we all thought to ourselves, like, bloody hell, we're going to do this quite easy. And the actual 1,609 Ks, the actual 1,000 miles was, was done just down by Perth Airport on the, on the Reed Highway, mm-hmm. coming back up to where we are north of the river. Yeah. And um, then it was kind of just, the high fives and back slaps and taking the piss out of each other for the next 25 Ks on the way back up to the survey to get the, um, to get the timestamp on the receipt. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was it. We got back to the survey. Um, Chris and Isti, lunatics, Chris lives 50 Ks away. So he decided to ride home. So he's actually done 1684 Ks and, uh, and Isti was around the corner. So, and that was it. And we caught up for a couple of beers two or three days later or walking like John Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's a that's epic. Um, look, going is, is your your Instagram is it private or is it open? Uh, look, the the big Mike Street guys open. You guys can jump on and have a look. Yeah, Take jump on and have a look. You can see some pretty cool images of that on there, and um, you know you'll get a better understanding of what Big Mike just spoke about. But that's uh, one hell of a ride, man. Yeah, look, it was. And, and to be fair, there's a couple of people that I need to doff my cap to uh, because they gave us the inspiration to get out there and do it. Um, one of them is actually a gentleman that works for Harley over east as well, uh, Benny, Ben the Harley guy on ben Instagram. Ben the Harley guy? Yep. Yeah, he's so Benny went out and, and shot a, a 1K just before us, and that was kind yeah, of like the impetus. Yeah, he did it in mid-December, I think. Where did he go? Adelaide. Oh. And he just did it again. Like, it was Fucking 40, 40 something degrees, and he did it again in uh, like two weeks ago. Nice. 
over the long weekend, I think. Yeah, he, he used a demo bike as well. Yeah, he used Ultra, demo Ultra. Back for first service the next day. <laughs> <laughs> That's very so, cool, and mate. there's another guy, Will, Will Tuck, up in Brisbane that did it, and I think he did it on a, a, a fat bob. Right. That would have been a hard slog. Well, they've got records every year. Like the the 1K dudes and like oldest bike and fastest oh, yeah. bike and smallest bike and yep. most consecutive. Some dudes do it like four days in a row. Yeah, like Whoa. I think last year the record was three days in a row. <coughs> it was... Um, Are these dudes in the US? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The dude from Biltwell. Oh, Bill, really? Yeah, Bill. He did it like three days in a row. If you have a look at the moment, there was one that was done a couple of weeks ago and the guy did it on a 103 or 113cc scooter in Brazil. Because <laughs> I think... It, How would you do that in 24 hours and something like that? That's non-stop. I don't know. I think there's there a dude that did it on a Grom last year. <laughs> really? And he got, this, got the record for this, the smallest bike, yeah. Wow. You are going to go back around for round two? Yeah, absolutely, Mick. I think the idea is we want to do it, you know, a minimum of twice a year, maybe three times a year. Nice. That'd be cool. Uh, you're going to continue to do it just in different parts of WA or you do a similar route or you're going to jump the border and try and do it around NT? Uh, look, or... I think we're going to – to be honest, mate, we, we're probably going to concentrate within the southwest, but we're going to have to change it up a little bit, come into the, you know, central west, heading up north. Um, you know, you, you do your, your 1,000 miles, you end up in Carafa or uh, Onslow or Dampier up that way. Not much going but you're on just battling the road trains and it, there's, there's just nothing out there. So yeah. to try and keep some engagement and interest, yeah. uh, we're going to con- concentrate on, on Southwest WA. We are looking at doing a run direct out to Eucla and to the WA border overnighting at the WA border and then cruising back over two or three days, kind of making a bit of a tour of it. Yep. Um, and then we're planning for my 40th at the moment. The idea was to go back to the States, but clearly that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, probably riding um, east coast of Australia, so probably ship the bikes up to Cairns or Port Douglas, start there and then do the whole east coast. When you do that, there's a couple of roads we can tell you to go on, mate. You've probably heard us talking about it, but I rode from Melbourne to the Gold Coast and did two of the best roads I've ever ridden on. Being yeah, that'll be meant, thund- that would be meant thunder, to jump on something like that. Thunderbolt Way and the Oxley Highway were just incredible. Yeah. So, hey. you know, and that's the, that's the kind of stuff we want to do. By, by doing the Ride 1K, we're getting other people to try and get out there and do it. You know, yeah, it's a bit hard, but it's everybody getting out there and then it's people like that sharing it, going, hey, listen, I've ridden this road. You, you need to get out there and do it. Mm-hmm. I think that's the power of social media too. It's so easy for people to connect and and show others and interact with others and what they're doing. We've really got to do it. You've inspired me, Big Mike. I know we've been talking about it for a while. We've just got to pull our finger out and get it done. Yeah, yeah boys. Look, I mean, you, you will do it and you'll be like yep that was fucking wicked and you're going to do another one and you'll do another one and there'll be three or four dudes that'll jump on with you and then they'll share it with you and i think the nice thing about it is when you when you complete the ride you submit everything through the ride 1k in a day website and you get a patch he does a like a a bespoke patch for the year you get a certificate for it and he prints out a couple of photos for you and sends it down and he also gives you a bunch of cards 
and the cards say ride 1K in a day or you don't ride. And you go and throw them on your bike, your mate's bikes. It's a challenge to them. Hey, get out and ride. Stop buying these things and leaving them in the fucking garage. Yeah. Hey, um, that's very cool, babe. But while, while we've got you and you are, uh, you know, like I said, you're an avid Harley guy, you're an avid motorcyclist and – I think you've got some strong opinions, so I want to ask you a couple of things. You know, as as a as a rider, you know, and a general fan of the of the motor company and of Harley Davidson motorcycles. You know, what's your feeling towards the brand and the motor company at the moment? Jeez, Mick, good question, mate. Um, look, I think there's a there's a deep seated love for the motor company. I think we can all agree that we we do love the, the mothership. But the mothership does do some fairly strange things that just pushes people the wrong way. Um, I think some of the model lineup changes, some of the directions in regards to some of the bikes is, is probably uh, a bit of a fire from the hip and see kind of idea. I don't think there's been um, that much thought in regards to all of the markets around the world. Um, I think some of the market decisions are just purely based in the US and, and quite rightly so because that's where, you know, a large proportion of, of the, the Harley riders are and the brand By a mile. Uh, purchases are. But I think, you know, chasing younger people to come and, and spend the amount of money that you need to spend on a luxury product and, you know, for all of the misgivings about Harley's being agricultural and it's old school tech, et cetera, et cetera, it's a premium product, boys and girls. You need to pay for it. Mm-hmm. It is a status symbol. You want an HD, you've got to pay for it, right? You can buy a cheaper bike and you're going to get more gear on it, but it's not an HD. And But it's finding the correct point, you know, that, that price point, that entry point into HD, giving people the uh, ability to experience what it's all about. You know, and it is a lifestyle, you know. It's the freedom that you get on the bike, the camaraderie you get with the other people, you know, the parts, the accessories, the rallies, the books, the, the video shows. You only have to get onto YouTube to see the explosion in the last five or six years of the brand. So I think, you know, the brand's doing well, you know, in regards to recognition and embracement and stuff like that. There's no dramas with that. But some of the products and some of the ideas that are coming from corporate, you kind of shake your head about. And um, I think there's some lessons learned, particularly in Australia. I don't think um, HD Australia um, should necessarily just follow what HD America is doing, irrespective of how small we are in the market, because our market is so different from the States. Look, I agree with that. But in saying that, the motor company, so Harley Australia here, they try their hardest and they, they try to do all they can, but they're pretty hamstrung on what they can and can't do by Singapore and then those guys report to the UK and then those guys reporting to Milwaukee. So it's not that easy just to be able to do whatever they want. Um, oh, absolutely. Oh, look, and as a businessman, I agree with that and I appreciate all of that. Um, you know, the, I guess the commentary is coming back. You know, there's some things where you just scratch your head. You know, we've we've got a... Uh, we've got a licensing system in Australia that requires people ride a 600 and below lamb system, you know. Okay, it's not the biggest model in the in the market and it's probably not doing hugest sales, but Street 500 is gone now. I mean, Street so there 500 goes the entry was point. our number one seller. Yeah, so all of a sudden, That's the hurt. entry point Harley for young people to get into the brand is now gone. 
yeah, not necessarily just young people too. It's it's older people who are, you know, going out there and mm. getting a, a motorcycle for their first time. They've wanted always wanted one, and and they or they've always wanted a Harley, and they couldn't get it for whatever reason. But that gave people the opportunity to go and do it. Exactly like that. I was talking Absolutely. to a lady this morning. She was considering a five hundred as her first bike. She was I don't know. I'm guessing she would be maybe late thirties, early forties, and she a street five hundred is one of the models she was considering, but now. She's not because she can't buy a new one. She wants to buy a brand new bike as her first learner bike just so for peace of mind and all that sort of stuff. So she's gone and bought another brand because she can't get a Street 500 anymore. And that would be one case out of many. Yeah. I hear it all the time. People will call in constantly. We get multiple calls a day, people looking for 500s. Yeah. No, I think that was a – not. A, I, well, I can't call it a mistake, but maybe an oversight or I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I wish, uh, I, look, I, I wish you, we had it. You probably say it's commercial collateral damage, unfortunately. A decision's been made up in the chain, you know, and because we're such a small demographic within the business chain, you know, we're just kind of copying it. But, you know, that's one of the things here in Australia. We're trying to get the band to go, to grow rather, and, you know, that's one of the roadblocks that gets thrown in front of you, which is a, it's, it's a little bit hard. And, you know, one of the big drivers is trying to get more women to ride, mm. you know, and one of the big things with ladies coming into the brand and, and, and riding is to be able to feel confident on the bike that they've got underneath of them, throwing them onto a heritage soft tail or a slim or a low rider. And, okay, you're going to get some of the, the ladies that have ridden before, but it's a confidence thing. And, mm. that you know, uh, a Street 500 or a little Iron 883 or something like that, those tick the boxes, man. Mm. Yeah, I'm hoping they do something with the new platform, with the new engine. That we keep talking about the 1250 Custom that's coming out. Yeah, with the new Pan America engine, I'm hoping that they do bring something out that is quite good with that new engine and new platform that will fill that void. Because it wouldn't be hard to make a well, essentially a Street 500 engine is a smaller version of that. Uh, liquid cooled 1250 that's coming out so potentially like triumph's done it with the speed triple they've Mm -hmm. basically just sleeved down the street triple to a lambs version yeah i can't see us having another lambs approved harley it wouldn't be hard for them to just sleeve down i mean if triumph can sleeve down a, a 675 to 660 for us yeah but the motor company aren't looking at what we're doing over here i don't know I'll be surprised. I mean, don't get me wrong. Surely Triumph. We're not that massive for Triumph in the world. Yeah, you know, there's a, there's, what's the program that you guys or Harley Davidson have got in regards to buying a Street 500 and when you trade it in on your new bike, you get the same money for it or something yeah, the, like that? So we've we've had the freedom promise. So basically, if you buy us, if you've bought, because it's too late now, but if you purchased a Street 500... And within two years, you can upgrade and get your purchase price back, minus your on-roads and your GST and all that sort of stuff. There are terms and conditions, but we've done a couple of sportsters in the last six months or so. Um, but exactly, it's a perfect point to be able to trade your bike back in and and get basically what you paid for it. Yeah. You know, like as a, as a businessman, I would suggest, for me, I'd see an opportunity in the market with that. And if I was a Harley D- uh, Dave davidson uh, dealership i'll go and buy myself 20 of the street 500 and i'll run them myself you know i'd have the deal and i'd say look i've got these 20 bikes i'll sell them to you i'll buy them back for you minus the gst and the on roads and whatnot at the end when you come back and you buy the bike 
and you recycle those bikes and you probably do them at a slightly cheaper price because they're pre-owned or they've got, you know, 6,000 Ks on them or whatever. But you try and have your fleet of Lambs approved bikes as a dealer to try and entice people to come through if they're not going to be available moving forward. It's not as easy as that either though because mm, stock's all gone stock, already. Stock's gone. And even when we heard that there were going to be no longer Harley yeah. issued the motor company issued each dealer with their remaining stock allocation based on previous sales history so you, we and that's all you got so it wasn't the case yeah I, i'm sure every dealer wanted to load up and buy 20 of them but you kind of got what you were given and this so. is why i'm just an average consumer mate and you guys are sitting in the big chair <laughs> <laughs> hey what do you what's your opinion on the live wire and the pan america quickly Look, uh, let's go with Pan America. Um, I think it's a good thing. I, I really do. I've got a Ducati Multistrada Enduro Pro. A couple of the guys that I ride with have also got GSs. Mm-hmm. I think it's good to have competition. Um, I think Harley's going into a shaft tank of an environment. Like this thing better hit some marks. More importantly, it needs to be priced accordingly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like we got Venus, one shot at it. Mm. Yeah, look, they do. I think the market will be fairly forgiving with them because BMW has been doing this since, you know, the 70s. Um, so they've, they've got, you know, considerable time up their sleeve. Uh, but Harley's going to have to take it to people like KTM, um, Honda with the Africa 2 and Ducati to a degree, um, you know, before they should set their gun sights on uh, BMW as, as a, a direct competitor. But I like what I'm seeing. I mean, you know, the, the 1250 uh, Revolution Max motor, I think, you know, from, from everything that we've seen, it looks pretty good. I think the the ultimate, uh, there's going to be two two points that are ultimately going to define its success. It's the price point and it's going to be what it's like to ride. And after last week or the last podcast, sorry, um, you know, and um, the gent that was speaking to you, he said, as journalists, we can't force down what uh, force the riding uh, experiences down to our readers. We need them to get out there and make their own decisions. So, being able to experience what a Pan America is, I think that's going to be Harley Davidson's kind of key driver, just getting people out there and having a ride on these things. Yep, for sure. What about the live wire? Uh, look, if they made them from uh, for normal sized human beings such as myself, yeah, I'd, I'd probably <laughs> so be probably be uh, a good thing Have look had a from what i've seen uh i can barely fit on it mate i went to the launch and it was like i was on a balance bike <laughs> Fair so enough. no i haven't had a ride um the tech looks good the idea looks good i think as much as i don't um like it or love the idea electrification is coming evs are going to be the future yep. I think Harley Davidson put its balls on the line and developed an EV over the space of six years. And what they brought to the market is better than anything else that's been brought to market so far. I think it's been a bit of a test bed. And to be honest, I'd be really interested to see what the next gen is going to be, whether it's Livewire 2.0, Livewire 2.0, you know, 3.0 or other models. But, you know, you guys have ridden them. It's instantaneous power. Um, yeah, it, that's it the most impressive the thing for me. Mm. Yeah, you know, it's got good gear on it, it's got good brakes, it's got good suspension, it's got a good TFT on it. Um, for inner city and, and large metropol- uh, metropolis, uh, metropolitan areas, look, it's great. Here in WA, until we get a charging system up, you know, the ability to take the bike regional, 
you're not going to be touring on it. It, it is more of a city bike, but um, look, it's exciting. I think it's ballsy for a company to go and invest that kind of money in R and D to go and throw out me the, yeah. Yeah, definitely, I think it's a good man. thing. Definitely. Well, that's about it from us. But before we wrap it up, as you know, we like to ask uh, what your top three Harley's of all time would be, man. Right. Um, Don't pretend you didn't know this was coming. You listen to every show you've heard, every guest. You knew this was coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look. Doesn't make the question any easier, though. No, that's true. Yeah. He's had but, a week, though. <laughs> uh, look, the answer will be the bikes that I like, not the bikes that I can sit on and ride because they're two different things. Yeah. Um, I'd have to say I had a 2006, 2007 night train, 96 cubes, yep. which I absolutely loved. I thought mm-hmm. that was a really cool, badass bike, really nice gearbox. Um, I've got a soft spot for the twin cam, yep. so uh, I really like that. Um, I do enjoy my um, touring bikes, Road Glide, Street Glide. I think that's great. You know, they're really, really good bikes. Uh, but So that would have to probably be number two, would be the touring range. And I think number one, the best bike you could go and get right now from Harley-Davidson, bang for buck and equipment, would have to be that Lowrider S. Yeah, that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, they. Uh, you've got a pretty common list there. Obviously, the night train pops up a little bit. The lowrider S was on my list. Was it on yours? No. 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 Um, but yeah, no. That's a pretty solid top three list right there, mate. Yeah. Look, I, I think you know. At, at the end of the day, a lot of people need to realise there's no such thing as a perfect bike. But if a bike can accomplish eighty-five to ninety percent of all the things you need it to do, that's the perfect bike in your eyes. Yep. And if you're going to commute on a bike and you can commute on it, you can do the canyons or the hills or you can do the twisties or you can do tours on it, that works. I mean, we've got a, a mate of ours that rides with us. He's on a breakout and he tours on his breakout and he'll go and do four, 500 Ks in a day on it. And he's absolutely mental. He's a pilot, probably explains why he's mental. But, um, you know, it doesn't matter what you've got. You can tour on it or whatever your, your, um, your choice is. But, Get out there and, and have a look at the bikes and, and, and choose something. The motor company's got a lot of things there, a lot of offerings. Uh, I think the nice thing about it is you can tailor it. You can make it yours. You can change the bars, the seats, the pegs. You know, so, yeah, pretty difficult to just say the three bikes, but it's, hey, listen, the best bike and the top three bikes, the best bike is the bike that's in your garage and you're riding. Yeah, that's uh, Benny's favorite saying right there. That's it, man. <laughs> which I stole from somebody else. <laughs> hey, mate, uh, we're going to have to wrap this up, but we really appreciate you coming on today. I know it's early in the morning. Well, not that early, but it's still eight. It was eight, nine o'clock in the morning when you jumped on with us. So uh, we really appreciate it, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure, and I've got a feeling that this won't be the last time we, we have you on the show. We might be able to bring you on as a regular guest because I actually think you'd be good to have on board when we interview other people too. So let's, uh, let's have a chat about that and try and get you on the show a little bit more. Yeah, no dramas, boys. Thanks very much for having me. Um, for you guys, to all the guys and girls out there, get out there and ride. Um, keep a shiny side up and stay safe. All right, man. Thanks so much again, and we'll talk to you soon. Big Mike. Cheers, boys. Thanks, mate. See, See you, mate. Ya. That was pretty cool. Yeah, what a cool guy. <clears throat> really cool. Uh, yeah, he, he loves it. It's so inspiring to talk to people like Big Mike. You know, we're in this store day in, day out. Mm. 
So I think we can fall into that trap of it's just what we do. But then to hear someone so passionate yeah. and just a bloke who loves a motor company, uh, just like because to ride of bikes for, for what it there. for what it is, I mean, it's uh, really refreshing for me. Yeah, and I mean that sort of riding is what really nails it for me in terms of what Harley is is getting out on the open road and seeing the country and seeing the sights and, yeah. and really just enjoying the bike and being out there. But should we move on and quickly talk about this super chat? Yeah, we should because we did mention it at the start. So uh, you sent me that text this morning saying, hey, check this out. I had a brief look at it, but I didn't really get a chance to well, basically, read it too much. So tell me what you know about this supercharger. Well, I don't really know a lot. Basically, people... They love to look at what patents the motor company are registering, right? So a patent, obviously we all know what a patent is, um, is for a new technology or a new design. And they've basically, they've registered a trademark uh, for a patent that was filed in 2019, but was actually just being granted and published that shows a supercharger sitting behind the rear cylinder and above the gearbox in, in that sort of gap there. Um driven by an external belt from a power takeoff shaft that's geared from the crankshaft. Um, so although the system could be developed with the idea of attaching it to a standard production bike, Harley's long-running dedication to aftermarket performance means that it would likely be more profitable to offer it as an accessory. So I think the idea is to have it as a bolt-on to, as an addition to things like the 131. Because imagine having a 131 with a bolt-on supercharger. Um, I know a lot of the aftermarket units, there's a lot of piping and it looks quite average. But I think if they could somehow integrate a supercharger in that space, um, uh, it'd be pretty wild, man. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, again, like I haven't really read too much about it, to be honest. I'm going to have to go back and do it. Like it's just a bit of, like it's just an idea and a speculation that it could happen. Who knows? Patents have popped up that I've seen from Harley and then nothing's eventuated from it. Um, in the 80s, they had all sorts. They had um, that four-cylinder uh, V4 that popped up and then that never went anywhere. So it might just be something that gets lost in the wind. But yeah, I don't know. I, th- I think with that hardwire strategy, you know, they're, I think so. they're um, really focusing on... What we want, really. What we want. It's like Mike said, like if you want a Harley, it's a premium product, it's a lifestyle, it's blah, 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 yeah. and you have to pay for that. It seems like Harley's really moved away from like providing a bike for every single man and his dog and yeah. really just doing what we do really well. Be interesting. We'll watch this space. We'll see what becomes of it. That's it, man. Questions from this week. So we've got one from Joey Dodd who actually sits in this building selling, you know, sling and metal. It's his birthday today. Actually, Happy birthday, 40 Joey today. Dodd. You Happy old man. birthday, big J Dodd. So he sent through a question on Instagram. He could have just walked in here and asked it, but anyway. <laughs> To get a more comfy ride, what's one small mod you can do to get a big effect? Just make yourself fit on the bike. I think just putting a big touring seat on won't necessarily make it more comfortable for you. You just want to be in a really neutral, relaxed riding position. I think tyre pressure. Tyre pressure? Mm. Based off, you know, some of the feedback we've had from our guests and... Uh, you know, tire pressure is something, it's a huge oversight for a lot of people and I think that yeah, can really change, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, the outcome of your ride. Yeah. And fuck, I don't think I've, well, up until I got told, I'd never checked the tire pressure on my bike. 
you know, I'm a mountain biker. I check it every single ride, but I'm a Harley. I never did. Yeah. Um, but it's something I check regularly now, and I think it makes a lot of difference. I think. Yeah, probably a good point. I yeah, actually. <laughs> you, you got me with that one. <laughs> it's such an easy one that no one ever does. Yeah. Check your tyre pressure, people. <laughs> mm-hmm. From uh, Euro 22. It said 26-inch wheels with a question mark, so I assume he wants to know our thoughts on 26. Too big. 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 Personally, I like a bike that I can use and ride and like I'm not uh, really wanting cool, to. It looks cool, but. It looks cool. We had like, we've got a customers one in here at the moment with a 26 on it. Looks rad, but I don't know, just don't know how it'll ride, you know, mm-hmm. like I'd rather, that's why I like Street Glides, Lowride S is a bit more of a rider's bike. Whereas if you want a bit, something a bit more showy, the 26 is cool. Yeah. It's fucking big though. Massive. And then I think you had another one, 23 compared to a 26. What's your opinions on that? Depends on the bike. I mean, the bigger they get, the worse it's going to handle. I think 19 really caps off wheel size for me yep. in terms of rideability. I think that's why Harley's stuck with a 19 on street glides, 19 on low rider S's, and that seems to be the the sweet spot. Yeah. So I don't, anything bigger than that. Yeah, I've never rode a bike with 26. I couldn't imagine that would be that fun, to be honest. I mean, they look cool as hell, but... I don't think I have either. I've ridden 23, but not 26. Yeah, I think it'd be bloody awkward, but anyway. Um, I don't really think we answered that question for you, mate, but... Yeah, big. Personal <laughs> preference. Yeah, that's true. Like anything. Uh, another question we got, uh, and his Instagram name is WTF is cardio. What the fuck is cardio? <laughs> <coughs> What is the number one HD that embodies the brand most of all? Oh, that's a hard one, man. I don't know. Fatty? Serial number one? Well, I think it's a fat boy. You think it's a fat boy? Mm-hmm. A heritage? No. Theo would say a heritage. He would, but embodies the brand the most. You know, you speak to people who... Aren't that close to Harley, right? They think of Harley and you go, hey, name me one Harley Davidson model. They'll always say a fat boy. Yeah, they know a fat boy. They won't know a slim. They probably won't know a low rider S. They won't know a soft house standard. They probably won't know a CVO, but fucking every single person. It's pretty iconic. Would know that fat boy. So I think the answer to your question is the fat boy is the the one HD model that embodies the brand the most. I think, yeah, probably the (coughs) most iconic. For sure. And I think that was because of Terminator. For non-Harley people, definitely. Yeah. That's all we got for today. Are you going to add anything else? Give us a five-star review. Yeah, you beat me to it. And we're getting plenty through. Yeah. Um, that was a little bit aggressive, Ben. I would have <laughs> asked them to. So if please. you want to, please leave a review. Don't please leave us a review. You almost threatened them if they didn't. We'll come to your house. <laughs> and what are leave. you going to do if you show up at some bloke's house, Ben? I'm going to get it on my phone. <laughs> <and> <laughs> all right, that's all we've got time for today. Uh, are we going to be back next week? No, I'm going away for Oh, two you're weeks. away for a couple of weeks. Yeah, I'm going away. I'm road tripping to Adelaide with the family. Good. And two weeks off, and then I'll be back at uh, the start of March. All right. So we're not coming back next week. We're coming a couple of weeks off. So um, thanks again for tuning in. Uh, thanks to everyone who's contributed to our 50,000 listens. Congratulations, Benny. It's a good little milestone that we've been aiming for. Thank you, mate. Um, that's it. Thanks, everyone. We'll uh, catch you in a couple of weeks. See you, guys. <laughs> Welcome to the
the Harley Heaven Rumble Podcast with your hosts, Mick Sinclair and Ben McIntyre. 